Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to the very first episode of Grassroots Radio. I'm Unique Bird, the host of this show, and I'm so pleased to have you joining me today. Thank you so much to everyone who's listening. This podcast is a project of the new Grassroots, and it's all about highlighting the positive side of life and youth culture in Antigua and Barbuda. And we're doing this through interviews with exceptional young Antiguans and Barbudans about how they see the world, the challenges they're facing, and what motivates them to keep working towards a bright future for our country, region, and the world. Our very first guest is Kadeem Joseph, a 27-year-old media professional with over 10 years of experience. He's also a medical student at the American University of Antigua and an award-winning creative writer, poet, singer, and gender activist. And we get into a little bit of everything. So without further ado, let's take a listen. First and foremost, I am a social activist, I'm a volunteer. I love volunteering. I think it's a part of what we need to do as, as citizens of the globe, um, not just Antigua, but uh, as, as members of this world you know that we're trying to make better uh, outside of that I'm a writer and spoken word artist I also sing and act I am also a gender advocate and a youth advocate so it's a multi I have a multifaceted sort mm-hmm. of um, life between between being a medical student and handling all of the other things that I have interests in. Indeed, you are a very busy young man. How exactly do you make all those things work in your life? What would you say is a typical day in the life of Kadeem? You know, I I think generically when um, when I'm asked that, I kind of say, you know, it works, or I, I'm disciplined, or or some some something of that sort. But mm-hmm. really, many, it, many, on many occasions, it really doesn't work. If I'm to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that uh, I have all of these moving parts in my life. It's it's and all of these random obligations, uh, whether it be in school or uh, in the arts and in, in the the world of arts, um, mm-hmm. but sometimes, in most cases, things just happen to fall into place uh, because I've found as I have continued through school and, and school has gotten a bit more um, busy and engaging, uh, it, it things, other things take a backseat. So I'm not, it, it really doesn't work, but I have been able to push myself through to um, ensure that I'm where I'm need, I need to be at the time I need to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think you're a very good example of kind of how to get all these different things done. Obviously, you're not doing all these things simultaneously, but when you have time off on one, you can fit another one in. Exactly. And, and it's odd because I think for most individuals, their downtime is perhaps watching TV, reading a book, going to the beach. But uh, I consider my downtime from school my work in other areas. So uh, if I have some time, I'd probably go write something for um, some sort of event. Mm-hmm. So that way I am giving time to everything. It, it's not always great in terms of my rest, my resting periods, but mm-hmm. um, at least at the end of the day, I, I feel a bit more fulfilled. Right, that was one of the things I was gonna ask you. Are you the kind of person that feels like you need to fill your time in this way like if you do have that kind of downtime where i don't have anything to do i could just you know take a nap or do nothing or go to the beach and just you know chill completely do you is it that you would prefer to be doing something that's a little bit more active or a bit more engaging to just kind of having a 100 down down time I, I do prefer to be engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the reason is that very young, when I was very young, uh, both my parents, both my parents were always on the go to the extent that they had things. Uh, my dad 
uh, he worked, he had um, cattle that he looked after. So mm-hmm. it was never re- there was never really downtime for him until he came home and was just tired, you know. Uh, my mom, she she worked. She was a homemaker as well, and uh, she she juggled things so much. And they were always they were always very keen on impressing on me that hey, you were you were given these talents, and it's up to you to make the life you want with these talents. So I've never, I always I've always felt that obligation to use the talents that I've been given in a proactive way and in a productive way. Uh, and it, I, I think if you look at individuals who have achieved extreme success, they are individuals who have realized that they have this gift and they go above and beyond to ensure that that gift is seen by whomever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I always have that in the back of my mind. I'm not necessarily from an affluent family. So I have done everything in my power to position myself uh, in places that would allow me to access opportunities that I otherwise would not have. So a lot of young people will say, you know, in Antigua, it's kind of boring, not too much going on. It's hard to find opportunities and avenues to do what you did, which is kind of insert yourself and make sure that you're well positioned to realize your various dreams and aspirations. I guess, how did you find all these different avenues? The story might be different for each one, but kind of, do you have a system for seeking out opportunities and then going after them? Just for people who might be interested in doing similar things. Uh, You raise an interesting point about um, individuals, especially young people, Mm -hmm. growing bored really quickly. And it's something I laugh at all the time with my friends who are like, oh, I'm bored, I'm home, I'm bored. I'm like, what, is, what is this boredom that you <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know it. Um, for me, again, and kudos again to my parents who are very, they're not, they're not, uh, I, I can't remember the term, but they, they don't necessarily, uh, they're not trying to push me in everything at every single moment to uh, ensure that I'm occupied all the time, or that wasn't them growing, or when I was growing up, but they they were very good at letting me know that I could do things. Mm. You know, um, they were they were good at recognizing potential. Let me say right. that. Right. In that way, I always felt that I had the mechanism, uh, the support to try different things. So, for instance, when I was in primary school, around grade six or grade five, there was- What primary school did you go to? I went to the Jennings Primary School, the best primary school um, in the world. (laughs) (laughs) um, Not gonna argue. (laughs) Back then, uh, there was a radio program on ZDK uh, called The Paula Show, hosted by Paula Lee. And my dad heard heard of the show and he called me up. He's like, oh, Kadeem, you know, there's this show where young people can call in and they are asked questions, they earn points, and they get gifts in the end, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was my first foray into radio, so to speak. Right. And I would call in every time. It was a weekly thing, and I won I won my first, um, my first, was it computer? Yeah, I won my first computer through that. Okay. I think it was a computer. I can't remember, but I won, I won something <laughs> really um unexpected mm-hmm. um and and uh, phone plans and internet and all of these things that i i think then i would not have had access to had i not participated uh-huh. and then there was the uh, max and company show on observer radio and my dad also was like hey there's this other show that i think you should do you, you would do well in and i would call in every day and there were different categories from poetry to to um, answering science questions, like the, the list went on. And I, I participated religiously. And again, one thing that I otherwise would not have had in my, in my possession at that time. Uh, and that sort of mushroomed into something way bigger. So from a very early age, people knew, who, knew my name, yeah. knew who I was. Um, I was, my voice was recognizable. And I think that sort of 
shuttled me into different avenues where I was asked to speak at different events, uh, do motivational speaking. And uh, I, I was exposed to music and I, I, it kind of opened the doors uh, mm-hmm. for someone who had already felt uh, or had already been targeted or, or nabbed as someone who was multi-talented. So it was very easy for people to say, oh, hey, I know this person. Perhaps I should ask him to do this for me. And it, it mushroomed from there. So you really showed yourself to be someone who had a lot of different skills and was very versatile. And so people were inviting you then to participate in more and more things. That's correct. Yes. And so you started basically from calling in and participating in radio competitions and that somehow landed you in actually working in the media. Yes. yes. So how did that transition kind of happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and again, for for young people out there who, who are listening, uh, you, I I think that volunteerism, uh, participating in in uh, organizations and not not for profit initiatives are really a setup for your own personal success. Um, I remember back in the day, I used to hear uh, Julian Rogers and Judith Gittens in the morning. Uh, on Observer Radio and and Sly J and I used to mimic their voices. <laughs> I really wanted to have a radio voice. I I I loved to listen to documentaries and and the trailers for movies and hear that iconic voice. I like who is this person that's mixing this? <laughs> so I used to practice in the mirror and 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 say things over and over and over again. And uh, I, I say all that to say that. My participation in these radio shows, uh, I, I would have never imagined that they would have led me into the path that, that I did, uh, that, I, that I ended up going along. I, I came back to Antigua in 2010 uh, after my first foray into university, and um, I needed a, a, a quick job to support my medical school exploits, mm-hmm. and I had already I had already worked with Observer um, with developing a youth show and hosting their then junior cabinet. So I, I wasn't new to radio, but uh, there was a friend who worked there at the time. I was like, you know, explaining the situation. He was like, you know, apply. You clearly have the talent. Just apply and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I applied and I was employed as a journalist for the first year. Uh, well, I was on probation for the first year, for the first six months, and I got uh, employed full time for the first year. Uh, a year after that, you know, and it's weird because, again, I'm so goal oriented. I, I had already committed within that year. I needed to get a raise. It was just something that I wanted right. because I had I had never had a full job before, and I didn't understand how business worked and how you negotiated these things. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I need to get to a place where I I show myself to be so good that a raise would not be something worth debating. It would be like, oh yeah, of course you, right. you get that raise, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember the meeting after my contract has had ended, and I was like, look. <laughs> for this for this particular period of time i am now performing at this level if you look at my performance i i am now producing this amount of work compared to my colleagues um and i think that i deserve a raise and of course it was like it was like oh wow this was way easier than i expected it to be you know mm-hmm. well you <laughs> um, had your arguments all lined up so it, it was it was it was one of those things that i think young people generally uh, you have to know your worth. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of young people uh, struggle, especially in a place like Antigua, where uh, we don't have a lot of avenues for upward movement. There's a lot of stagnation, especially mm-hmm. in the public system. So you, you don't have that practice to say, hey, this is what I've been doing for you, for your company, for your, for your establishment. And this is what I think I can do. This is the level I think I am performing, and I'm an asset to your company. I think you should you should consider uh, treating me more, or or recognizing how much of an asset I am. So, it it I, I quickly moved from being a, just a journalist to running the entertainment pages to producing Observer AM uh, and and biggest use. 
Uh, and these are, of course, were all goals in my, I, I literally had a checklist of things that I wanted to accomplish within okay. a week of time. And um, I, I pushed for them. I, I tried my best to, to um, perform. And before I knew it, I was senior. I was senior in the organization and I was a producer of the news. So uh, I am very proud of that gradual progression. You know, I look back at how fast it happened and um, how committed I was to the process. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that you mentioned negotiating for, you know, what you think you're worth and framing it in terms of explaining or showing, not even explaining, you have to show, right? And actually be able to produce at that level and then ask for what you want and frame it as, this is how I'm contributing. Because a lot of times people will think that they deserve a raise or promotion based on how much time they've spent in a place. I think that's one of the common kind of mistakes that people make. And it's not really about how long you've been there. It's about what you're contributing, the value of it, and the fact that you're doing that and people don't want to lose you, right? And that's the most important thing you can focus on as a young person. Uh, Culturally, in Antigua, we don't have that sort of... um, We don't have that sort of realization where we, we, we have competitive markets where you can aim for 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 bigger and again as i said we, we are mainly public sector driven our public mm-hmm. sector is larger than our private sector by a and, lot um exactly and and you don't find that in that sector there's regular evaluations um there there are regular targets for you to meet um in the average division of government so i i don't if, if for individuals who have worked abroad and are accustomed to the culture of capitalist states, then they they would have a different thrust in how they approach uh, work. So I think while we while we like to say that we celebrate foreign foreign things in Antigua more than we celebrate um, local local people, I think as well when you would have worked in the States and, and Europe and UK, uh, Europe, uh, you come back with a, a, a greater zeal to push to the top. And you know how to prove yourself in that way. Um, whereas there are several misconceptions to regular Antiguans who are thinking, okay, I have tenure. I have yeah, tenure in the yeah. organization. So I, need, I, I should be the one who gets the promotion. Yeah. I should be the one who is considered. But um, no, it's the individual who proves themselves to be the, of the greatest asset. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about your time away. You mentioned earlier that you started working at Observer after you returned from studies abroad. Where were you studying? What were you studying? How long were you there? Give us a picture of that. Well, I, I left Antigua in 2010 to study medicine in the Kingdom of Morocco. That I was a part of the first batch of students who uh, who applied for that scholarship and that too sort of fell into my lap because I, I was kind of wondering what what was next in my life what, what was the next thing I knew I wanted to study medicine and that has been that had been my goal for the longest time uh, but I wasn't too sure how to get there especially as I said earlier coming from a family who was not necessarily affluent mm-hmm. uh, medicine is a big thing to go into because of the financial commitment yeah and- huge expense huge amount of time so I, I wasn't too sure and uh, a government official uh, realized that you know I, I, I hadn't gone to UWE I, I, I was just around and doing different projects and they're like you know there's this opportunity coming up I think it would be good for you uh, to get out of Antigua have experiences and, and come back uh, and that was a Moroccan scholarship I, I left and I did two years, two and a half years, I think, in Morocco. And uh, my first year was studying science, uh, sorry, studying French uh, as a language. I went late, so I had six months of French. And um, thereafter, we had some complications in the systems under which we were registered. So... As is often the case. (laughs) Yeah, so many many of the Antiguans, many of the Caribbean individuals who had gone up there uh, to do medicine were not given given the option to do medicine, oh. uh, despite 
because to do, to do medicine in Morocco, you would have had to pass your French examinations with uh, an A, let's say, in, the, in their grading system, an A, A+. Plus. Okay. Uh, so we did that, and then we were told, uh, you, you also don't meet the requirements because we, in Antigua, we do, in the Caribbean, we do the A-level system. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't recognize that system over there. So you need to be a certain age and your, 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 your um, certification should not be over two years old by the time you enter medical school. So you could imagine having done A-levels yeah. and then going to do a six-month or a year course in French that automatically uh, would make, make you, you too old. Yeah, that age is like. <laughs> Oh so gosh. that was a bit of a shock for all of us. Um, right. And you would think that that would be the kind of information that would be available to you at the time of your application to the program. Yeah, I mean, my, my parents, my parents are like, you know what, try, try to go through the science course. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a promise then that after we would have finished uh, the first two years of that science course, we transition into the, the medical science program. Mm-hmm. Um my first semester was was awful because we because of the whole hiccup with with the medicine thing we were registered after the midterms of the first semester after the midterms after the midterms so we literally went well oh my let's, god let's say we we entered the week before the official midterms yes i think that's what happened so, so still too late to take midterms <laughs> Right. Yeah, so it was, it was, it already didn't make sense. We were already yeah. at a disadvantage. We, we would have already failed that, that term, that semester. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember once, um, I, I hate telling the story because it was, um, it was such a, a low moment in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, went to, we went to classes and um, given that we were native English speakers and um, then we learned French. We did not know Arabic, which was the um, the one of the official languages of Morocco. Right. Mm-hmm. Moroccans speak Arabic than any other language. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I remember the, the professor said, "Look, I have I have the this amount of students who only speak Arabic and barely know French, and I have you scholarship students who are coming here to." Learn, to learn French. You only you only know French, and I can your 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 language of well, the official language of instruction is French, but uh, so a lot of Moroccans would learn French just to have a higher degree, uh-huh. and many of them were not proficient enough to perform well. So he was saying, "Look, I am going to serve the greater good of my people, right. <laughs> and I'm going to teach in Arabic." So wow. Uh, it was it, it it wasn't a there was a lose lose situation. There was no way to have done anything. And I remember calling my mom and just bawling on the phone like, "Oh my I gosh, don't know, I don't know why I'm here, what I'm doing. Like you, I we just cannot win uh, with these people." And mm-hmm. uh, she's like, "You know what? Bear with it. Try your best." And I ended up spending the entire uh, academic year and going back for, I think, six more months. And it, it got to a point where I was like, you know what? This no longer made sense. I'm not doing what I want to do. I can't be taught in French. It, it, was, it was too much. And I, I, it, things sort of spilled over into the media and uh, it became a big hoorah. <laughs> and they, they asked the students who were in that situation to return and they were, we were placed elsewhere. And that's how I, I came back with only French certifications. And uh, I started uh, studying in Morocco. Well, that's after going to China to do a short course in diplomacy. But yeah, that wow. was the progression. <laughs> that, well, I appreciate you sharing that story, especially the difficult parts of it, because that's an experience that a lot of Antiguan students have when they leave and go on these scholarship programs that you know, lines get crossed and we don't know what we're doing here and people didn't expect us. That actually happened to my brother in Italy and a few other students. And they were kind of marooned for a while because they showed up there in the school, did not expect them. And so it was, yeah, yeah. And it's Italy, like they don't speak Italian. They're there to learn it. (laughs) 
I feel like I need to recover from that story. Holy crap. Like it's a lesson in resilience. And you know, definitely back to Antigua, I was like, uh, I really don't think I can I can do medicine again. It was it was such a leap of faith for me to do it. Uh and to be so brutally um shut down in the mm-hmm. process. I was like, uh, what's next? And um, yeah, there were other opportunities and I just decided, you know what, this was your dream. And I think, you know, again, being goal oriented, I think if I hadn't take, done everything in my power to pursue medicine, I would be disappointed in the future. So uh, one of the things that I was, I've always said and I maintain uh, even now is I'm going to push as hard as I can for as long as I can. If, if this doesn't work out, then I cannot say that I didn't do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that that is the way I approach most things because regret, regret is something that while other people may say, you know, they don't live with regrets and so on, I know regret and mm-hmm. I don't like the feeling. So <laughs> I try my best to, to do everything to the best of my ability uh, in order to, have a more fulfilling experience if if that makes sense yeah it totally makes sense and i think it's a really good mindset to have and just talking to you i'm realizing like it is so much about having the right outlook on things to keep going in those moments where it's things seem impossible things get really stressful and you're just like how am i going to deal with this and then is when you really need to, to have that kind of strong will and really know what you want and just keep pushing through it. Because even though that Morocco situation fell through and it wasn't what you were expecting, you still came out of it with French, right? Now you, you can speak French, you have that skill under your belt, and then you were able to move on to other things. So you never know, even in failures, even if it's not a failure due to your own, you know, action or will you can still turn those situations around for the better yeah and so i guess that that kind of mindset and being the person that you are is one of the reasons why you're attracted to activism and kind of sharing that knowledge and those kind of skills with other people so what was your first foray into that kind of world well i Oddly, I don't know myself outside of being an activist. I've just been always opinionated. Mm -hmm. And I I blame my dad mostly. (laughs) Because my dad, my dad, though he is a difficult parent to deal with, he is also he was also the individual who told us, um, all of his kids, that if there is something that is going wrong that you do not like you have the, the responsibility and the right to say that you don't like it. Uh, even if, it, if it's him, you know, even if it was, you say, you know, even if it's me, if you don't like something I'm doing, you can tell me. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of how you're going to say it. Um, you have to be respectful, but you have the right to speak up for yourself. And um, I think that sort of empowerment, he empowered us mm-hmm. to, to stand up for ourselves and to to be our own people. And that sort of led me to have a greater appreciation for the space I occupied. Um, And I, because again, being so young and being a part of so many different organizations and uh, conversations on very big topics, you young people are often overlooked. You know, you're like the token youth in the group. Yeah, very true. You need a young person to be in our group. Let's call this person. Mm -hmm. You're expected to stay in your corner and be silent. And that just wasn't me. I I think think young people, I remember, I don't know if you remember growing up, in Antigua there was this commercial uh, that said uh, youth had a voice, uh, youth had a right to be heard, I think was the thing. And I, I have, I have, somewhat taking that on as almost a personal crusade that young people have the unique opportunity to see things with fresh eyes. They're seeing the way our society is run with fresh eyes. They're seeing 
the the government system with fresh eyes and um that that freshness allows us to become the innovators of our time mm-hmm. and so often adults become threatened by that voice um that voice of newness that voice that says hey we've been doing this for so long perhaps we should try it this way and perhaps we would get get further with this approach and um i've made it i've made it my business to be that voice you know to to help in any way uh any way shape or form so i i, I can't tell you specifically when i became uh, involved in uh service organizations for the first time mm-hmm. but i know that it's a, it has been a thing for me from primary school uh right into high school when i joined young leaders and all of these other things and then uh i started working with jcs uh red cross and doing uh, mentorship programs and doing motivational speeches uh with different young people uh, it, it just went on the aid secretariat Mm-hmm. I, I just I just realized that um, there was a void, and again I I, th- I thought then and still do know that I see things differently to some people or a lot of people, and I think that if I were to be involved in certain projects, certain certain organizations, then I'd I'd be a benefit, I'd be an asset, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that has allowed me to transition into these different organizations and to be of service um and and as well and i say this and it's going to sound weird but when when i look at the news and um you know you look at places like yemen and um now the the uh, muslims in china and all of, all of these big stories uh where there's injustice and it seems as if no one is doing anything i'm the type of person who would sit down for hours just like how is the world allowed to allowed to carry on like this mm-hmm. you, know, you look at america who is supposed to be the the arbiter of all the things democracy and free free press free people free everything you know the 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 body of the world the government of the world that will come into your country and tell you hey you are you're not at the standard of democracy or or um more you don't have the moral high ground right now and you need to come up to the standard that we need you to operate in you have a situation right now where children are being literally separated from their parents uh, yeah. at borders and being held in detention facilities and at mm-hmm. the same time the same government is trying to intervene in the affairs of Venezuela and and Syria and Iraq I'm like how could this be a thing how could the world operate in the ways operating and it baffles me um it really plays on my mind because i think a lot of us have have a utopian view of where we are but there are people literally in the world right now suffering because of poor decisions of poor leaders and um we turn a blind eye to it every single day mm-hmm. and um i i don't know i don't know what i can do i haven't figured out the master plan in terms of what i can do to make these major changes um that i want to see for the world and not just antigua but really when i when i think of and working in news has jaded me to these situations a lot so like when i look at these the landscape of the world the political landscape and the economic landscape of the world i really i really have a difficult time accepting that this is what life should be uh so i i try my best to keep keep the conversation going um and there there's so many like-minded people um that i'm able to now offload my stresses on and worries on you know from amaya athel to elijah james and all of these other young people out there carl and knight um the new grassroots family um okay. all of whom i'm so <laughs> impressed with you know um i i'm so impressed with with the mo- with the movement and and what the movement could be um it it only inspires me more to keep pushing 
That's really beautiful. And I was smiling as you're talking, even about, you know, the bleak things going on in the world, because that's one of the things that obsesses me and drives me as well is just how did we let things get this way? Yeah. And I really believe that things don't have to be this way. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the, the really pivotal moments was just realizing that I have the ability to change things. And that came for me when I was working in this company, it was like a retail store and I was running their operations and they were just throwing away so many like good products all the time. And they were literally paying people to sit down and destroy books so that people couldn't steal them out of the garbage. And I was like, the heck is this? Like, this makes no sense. And people are like, oh, that's just how we do it. Like, we shouldn't do it that way. And I pushed and pushed and pushed until I got like a donation system set up where all these products like baby clothes and all that kind of stuff was being donated to local shelters that needed those things. It just seemed ridiculous that they were throwing them away. And then the company now gets to have the reputation of saying, oh, we don't do what all these other companies do. We actually recycle and donate and we're good corporate citizens. And just, it's a small thing and it's just one little thing, but I think that everyone has the power to kind of push for those little changes to be made. And it's just a matter of realizing that it's something that you can do. And I loved when you mentioned your dad telling you, you know, as a small child that, you, if you don't like how something's going, you can say something about it, you know? Like, you still have your voice, even if you're a little kid and you can't necessarily do anything yet, you still have your voice. And we can never discount the power of people's voices. And it's really, like, we all need that sort of support system mm-hmm. behind us too. Because it's, it's one thing to believe that you can, you, you can, uh, effect change but when you try there are all of these op- opposing voices and you need sure. a sort of support mechanism to say hey we got you uh, i remember back in the day and i laugh about it now because me it, it involves a prime minister <laughs> mm-hmm. and um there was there was a a big uh, a big thrust towards creating a national youth policy and I was a part of the process mm-hmm. and after we had presented the policy uh, well the policy was presented in parliament uh, the, the then he, he wasn't um, they weren't in government the ALP that is they weren't in government at the time and uh, I remember then Gaston Brown had uh, scathing criticisms for the, the national youth policy and how it worked uh, and I was. Do you remember what any of the criticisms were? Uh, basically, he he didn't think it was inclusive enough. Uh, it didn't go far enough for him, and he was also upset that uh, the party or representatives from the party weren't involved in the process. Um, which again, I don't want to. I don't want to rehash that because mm-hmm. I, I, it wasn't that. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. that. I think it was just a moment to politic, and that's what politicians do. Right. So I was very upset. Mm-hmm. I was like early, early teens at the time, and I was livid. And I went home and I was complaining. I was like, "How could this happen? How could how could this how, how could he say these things about this thing? We have worked so hard on this thing." And uh, my dad was like, "You know what? Just write about it." And I wrote mm-hmm. a letter to the host of Observer AM at the time, who was Missy Allen. And I thought it would have stopped there, but then it was published in the paper. And it became this huge debate. And uh, I was being invited on talk shows to discuss this thing. And uh, it became it became almost like a circus around something I said. And you know, the people were questioning whether or not I wrote the letter or whether oh or not God. someone else wrote it for me. And uh, it was rough. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember seeing, seeing, seeing uh, T.M. Brown in Parliament thereafter. And he... I, he, he came up to me and spoke about it and he basically shrugged at my, my assertions, you know? Oh. Uh, but again, I say all that to say, I say all that with the understanding that no, I, I, um, I wouldn't say that we are friends, but I'm familiar with the PM. He recognizes him. He says, howdy to me all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a mutual respect. 
And I don't think that would be there had I not um, stood up, stood up, you know, mm-hmm. or had I not positioned myself in in public affairs in the way I did. Uh, so there needs to be that belief and that support in order yes. for you to stand up, even to individuals that you admire. Because I, I have so much admiration for Jason Brown as a administrator, uh, in, as a politician, as a political figure. Um, but I think Antiguans in general need to know that despite that, despite all of the, um, the political hoorah that we do, we are still Antiguans and Barbudans, and we are, we, if, we, if we are desirous for the country to progress, then that means that we have to stand for something. Otherwise, it, you know, all your rights, all of your, your dreams and hopes for this small island, uh, this Trinidad Island state, it goes to nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to stay on the politics too long, but just one point to that. One of the, the issues I see with politics and the way that they work in Antigua in particular is that it can be incredibly tribal. And what you're saying about, you know, having disagreements with particular individuals who are politicians and then being able to move outside of that and still have a mutual respect. I feel like a lot of times we get stuck in thinking that if you support somebody or you support a party, you have to agree with every single thing they say. You have to just toe the line and not really do the critical thinking for yourself about whether a particular policy is going to be a good thing, about whether some aspects of the policy are going to be problematic for you. We kind of outsource all of that, you know, critical lens to, well, it's the party in charge. They should just do whatever they want. I think that's one of the places, too, where we need more voices to say, hey, I don't know if this is going the right way or just suggesting like alternatives. Like, I think this could be better. I think this could be tweaked, et cetera. And, just, and that's what's great about the new grassroots. And again, I, I need, I, in my head, I have a very, um, I have a very clear view of what I think the group is and what, where I think the group should go. Well, we um, should talk I more hope, about that. I hope I'm not being too presumptuous, but um, <laughs> Uh, This movement is for the people who are part of it. So, you know, take it away. I think that as young people, uh, we we definitely need to network and to speak with each other. There is uh, a clear body who says, hey, what you're doing isn't working. And this is our view on the matter. These are our findings. And this is what we think you should do. And it's not said in a vacuum, but there, there are so many brilliant young people uh, here uh, that can really help to revolutionize how we do things in Antigua. Uh, without, without each other, that will never happen. So kudos to you guys. I think uh, what you guys are on to is, is um, something that perhaps will propel Antigua into another era. That means so much coming from you, especially. So thank you. And we are going to try to live up to that 100%. So where does art, and in particular, your art and your creative pursuits fit into this really comprehensive worldview that you've just been expounding and sharing with us? I I don't know where where I'm going to be in the next 10 years with respect to my art. Uh, versus, I, I know there are small goals. As, as I told you, I'm like goal-oriented. Goal so I, mm-hmm. always, I always have these little things in my mind that I know I need to accomplish within a certain space of time. And for me, art informs life and vice versa. So a lot of the writing I do is from my life and from things I've observed. And I, I, want, I want to have a body of work that inspires others to speak up and speak out about di- very difficult topics from um, molestation to rape to um, infidelity and depression and mental health. And... Um, <laughs> the, most of my pieces surround those core topics. 
because I think we don't talk a lot about them. Uh, so uh, my hope is to, in the very near future, put out a audiovisual project that features uh, also spoken word and um, and musical presentations that would encapsulate um, somewhat of a mini book, mini a mini series, uh, and it would touch on everything in society. And I think that's what I want my art to be. I want it to be a representation of who I am as an individual uh, and show that I'm like, we are not one dimensional beings. We have all of these hopes and visions and dreams um, and uh, it, it comes together to make us. So that's the space I want my art to occupy and that's the representation I want it to have. What are some of the places that you kind of turn to as you've been pursuing like your spoken word, your acting, um, even with this audio visual project that you're trying to put together, like where have you found help or support or collaborators in these projects? Uh, thankfully, there, there's a network of young visionaries who are, are now pushing themselves into the arts uh, in a more in a more professional way in a, in a way that um, is more branded and easily accessible so when I came back to Antigua in 2012 uh, there about yes um, there was I was introduced to August August rush productions which is Zara Iral and Linissa Linissa why am I forgetting Linissa? Linissa yes uh, yeah their group um, who they, they did everything from the vagina monologues to uh, spoken word productions called Expressions, which where, where they invited uh, people to present their poetry and present their, their, their songs and so on, perform, basically, in a very organic setting. And that sort of propelled me forward into writing, because even as a child, I, I used to write like little poems, writing for different... Uh, different competitions, but they allowed me to see writing as an art and not just another thing to do. Uh, and it was through them that I was introduced to a lot of other creatives uh, who are doing things in the background that a lot of Antines and Barbians perhaps are not aware of and are not exposed to. So there's not this great appreciation for, for their hard work. And uh, in the past five years, with the advent of Soothe, which is a neo-soul and spoken word sort of event, and all of these other offshoots, um, we have seen uh, more opportunities for people like me who do spoken word, who sing, uh, to, to have a public and a national presence. Um, and through through small projects from the Department of Culture as well. Uh, there have been avenues open to me where I am exposed to uh, different stages and different audiences. So um, that, has, that, had, that was the original foray into spoken word. Uh, acting, again, uh, I've been, I, I had been doing it for quite some time, uh, whether it be like small school productions or or church things and so on. But uh, coming back again, there were, there were auditions for other major projects um, by the Department of Culture, by international directors who came to Antigua to put on productions and I was successful and I, I was able to participate in at least, at least six major productions. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've been, I've been, lucky uh, in some senses, but also uh, positioning kind of helped and, and networking helped as well uh, in, in helping me to get to get opportunities that, that perhaps others didn't know about. Kadeem, it has been such a treat talking to you. I guess we first met at like EcoZone camp with the yeah. counselors there. I was, were... I was telling, I was like, when Grayson <laughs> mentioned um, who, was, who was doing the interview, I was like, wait, Yannick from camp, camp? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, you were still a secondary school student then. And it's just amazing to see how much you've grown and blossomed. And if people want to find and follow you online and keep track of what you're up to, where would be the best place for them to do that? Oh, Facebook. Facebook is perhaps the best place. Uh, I'm most active on there, uh, despite my lack of activity. Uh, I'm most easily reached through Facebook. And um, if I'm posting any work, uh, it would be through Facebook. Um, Instagram to a lesser extent, but Kadeem Joseph on Facebook. Um, and I think Deem underscore Joseph on Instagram. Yeah, I most of my work would be on Facebook and um, at events. I'm still I'm still waiting to to be um, introduced to Twitter. I, I was on, but now with medicine, like no, I can't I can't possibly take on another social platform. <laughs> I hear that. Okay, Kadeem, that's all I got for you today. Thank you so much. listeners and fans you've made it to the end of another episode of grassroots radio i hope you enjoyed it if you did you can show some love by spreading the love and you can do that by sharing this episode on social media or just good old-fashioned word of mouth will do just fine as well If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured on this show or topics that you'd like us to cover, you can hit us up at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com and we are always so psyched to hear from you guys. So please, please go ahead, email us, let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see in the future. We want to hear all of it. If you are curious about the new grassroots and what else we are up to, you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter, we are on Instagram, we are on Facebook. If you search for the new grassroots, you will certainly be able to find us and get engaged that way. I gotta give a big shout out and special thanks to Grace Ann James for co-producing this podcast and also to Fenella Francis, co-founder of the New Grassroots and Zoe Teague for their help making the show happen and, you know, lining guests up for us. Really appreciate all the work that you guys have put into this and, of course, really appreciate you, the listeners, the audience, because without you, there would be no point in doing this. So thanks so much. Much love, peace, and later.